Yay. Welcome back to another episode of Gratitude and Leadership. I'm super excited to introduce you today to the one and only Christian who has 25 years plus years of experience. He's an award-winning hairdresser and is one of Scottsdale, Arizona's top educators, stylists, and he's an industry innovator. I love that because that is a true story. Christian is a kick-ass leader because he has the ability to take his pain from the past and turn it into a way to be authentic and lead from his truth today. Christian, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Yes. We're we forgot to, to mention that you um, happen to be Hillary's hairdresser as well. Yes. And gave her this feisty cut and color. I would we call just, Christian more of a transformation um, facilitator. No, all they did was take the changes that you were making in your life and give it to you and Harry. Oh. Yeah, I so. really feel like like the last year of your vibe has been so just like vibrant and f- fucking fantastic, to be honest. And it has a little bit to do with your hair, or a lot of it to do with your yeah, hair. Yeah, I think stuff. it's well, sober vibes too. Yeah, sober vibes. Coco Chanel said, "Be aware of a woman who's cutting her hair; she's about to change your life." Mm, I, I believe just had that's. What, yes. I think that's one of the quotes. I, I flashed back to being pregnant for the first time and I had really long hair and I cut it into a graduated bob and I hated it because <laughs> then well, I she was about to change like 70 pounds <laughs> exactly um, I cut off all my hair I'm single now so. oh yeah you did have you had some you had some waves I had some mullet going on yeah so Christian you've been in the industry for a long time in starting from when you were young you've been in you know helping people show up on the outside, how they felt on the inside. Um, And your parents owned like a tanning salon. Um, Tell me a little bit about growing up in a family business. Um, Actually, the family business sort of happened later in life. My mom was an apartment manager. My dad worked in the concrete industry. And then my mom became ill and moved in with me and my father. And so we opened a business together in order to help sort of manage the income and it was something that we could do together that wasn't too terribly difficult because both of my parents were elderly at the time yeah um and i mean i know that your parents life story um has kind of a tragic end and I, i would love for you to share about that because i think that there are a lot of people who've lost family members in that same way and they don't talk to many people about it. Yeah, I didn't talk to people about it for a long time. You know, I kind of shut down for like 10 years. Um, I went through so much loss at that time that trying to make connections with other human beings was so scary because I I figured I was just going to lose that too. And I just couldn't go through the pain it, anymore. Um, since then, I sort of turned that around. But yeah, in about 2007, when the economy changed, um, it became a real struggle because we were in a house that was upside down $200,000. We had a new business that was struggling. My mom was sick. Um, eventually, she passed away. And then um, my dad ended up taking his own life. And so it just was... And then... I lost the business. I lost my home. I had to file bankruptcy. So 
you know, they say the stressors are death and money. Like I had them all in like less than three months, you know. So. And wow. what grew out of that? Um, at first it was, it was, it wasn't really that great, but once I could actually share my story about it without breaking down, um, it would inspire other people because that's what they want to do. So I took a speaking course where, um, the lady said that if you start out your speech coming from a place of tragedy, that it engages the other people in the room because now they see you now there's an authentic connection. And so once I started doing that in my teaching for hair, um, it just really opened other people up and I didn't feel alone anymore. Yeah. I see that you have a mindful t-shirt on when you were going through this time in this phase in your life. What? <laughs> okay. So for our listeners that maybe can't see it, uh, Christian stood up and it said mindful as fuck on the bottom. So I just saw the mindful on the top and not the bottom, but <laughs> so going through this phase in your life and in, in this time of tragedy and, and working through that, um, you said you took a speaking course Were was there any other outlets that you had to help you get through that time? Yeah, I actually started therapy with a, um, a lady that was all about mindfulness. So it was no longer any more about reliving the tragedy or trying to change it. Cause that's what I tried to do for years is like try to understand it or try to change it when all I really needed to do. And it's not easy people is have a different relationship with it. So I had to learn to be grateful for all the horrible things that I went through because it made me who I am today. So once I started to learn to be grateful and not try to, you know, change it or fix anything that it was just what it is. Um, it sort of turned things around for me. So I am very grateful to my therapist. Yeah. What it, against the backdrop of all of this, I think that you shared with me when I, during the many hours I've been in your chair, <laughs> you know, about really embracing who you are, not just on the outside, but on the inside, including your sexuality and that that's been a journey. How did yeah, I, that's been an incredible journey and it's not just the sexuality. It's about, um, for some reason, I always thought being gay meant I had to embrace my feminine, which was very easy for me. But then as I've grown, I realized that it's not necessarily about that. It's about, it's, um, ex examining who I am as a man and not just a gay man, but as a man. Like being gay is second now, whereas it was, hi, I'm gay Christian. You know, like people would introduce me that way. And now it's about embracing both, but really getting in touch with who I am as a male. I'm really interested in this, like, because I, I guess I've never heard somebody say, somebody that's gay say, I just really want to embrace the gay man what what does that look like? Can you can you help me understand a little more about what you mean about that? Yeah, um, well, I you know my dad was hyper masculine. He did stuff with his hands. He could take things about, but um, he wasn't always the best guy. And so I did everything in my 
younger life and even later in life to pull away and be not be him when really when it came down to it i needed to lean into the idea that being gay didn't mean i had to be feminine or over the top but i could finally grow a beard and be hairy and you know like i spent most of my life trying to lose weight and wax and shave and pluck and when i really decided that you know i'm gonna love my body and love who i am and not give a fuck about what other people thought um i think it brought a confidence level to me that started to draw in other people yeah. So you're saying this and, and in my head, I'm thinking because I watched a documentary on, I believe his name is Colton Underwood. He's he was in The Bachelor, like he was The Bachelor. Yeah. And yeah, and he played like collegiate and I maybe want to say um, professional football. But in this in his documentary about coming out as a gay man, they had a sit down with a bunch of NF, former NFL players that are gay and just like the conversation around masculinity and being gay and in, in NFL is something that I never really thought about. Um, and like kind of the struggles of going through that. So I'm thankful that you brought that up because, and, yeah. it, and it kind of is full circle too, because I think there's multiple movements going on right now too. And, you know, just body positivity and, and, you know, sexuality and, and what that means for everybody. Yeah. And trying to decide like, and my, Am, am I being po- body positive and sexually positive or am I using it to make myself feel better? That's always been sort of a conundrum for me. Like I grew up Catholic, so I wanted to have the white picket fence and the kids and the wife and have that perfect life that I never got to have. But then I realized that's not my perfect life. My My perfect life is I get to be slutty when I want to be slutty. I get to be ethical when I'm ethical. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? And embrace feel the it and not, and not feel bad about it because you're always taught to feel bad about all that stuff. Yeah. So, Do you see the same types of, I mean, I know that when you, when you and I first met, we have a mutual friend who said that I looked like I had just taken off the apron from being in the kitchen or something like that. <laughs> God love him. Um, I'm sure you see people who are within their transformation and you're meanwhile, we're all, you know, on this evolution as well. What is it like for you to see people who are perhaps denying, maybe they give a lot of fucks about what other people think? Yeah. Um, I actually just ended a relationship with someone who was probably a little bit like that and it made it very difficult to um, see the struggle of like, who am I as a human and who am I as a gay man and where do I fit into all of that? You know, it makes you sort of question and reopen all those wounds. And so, you know, it's, you struggle with the idea of wanting to make it better for them and knowing if you make it better, you ruin their journey. So you have to like be able to stand back away from it and let them go through the pain, even though it's for someone like myself, who's a caregiver and wants everything to be good. You ruin, it's like telling someone the end of the story and then the journey isn't the same. So. Yeah, I love that. It's beautiful. 
how do you use, I want to circle back because, you know, one of your superpowers really is turning difficult things into, you make beauty out of everything in my experience with you. Even when you're in the, in the thick of it, you're still able to find a lot of beauty when you're going through a hard time, my instinct is, of course, to like, you need to cut that person out. I don't want to see you in pain. And you're right. still in this process of this has something to contribute to my life. How how does the loss of everything in 2006, 2007 make you the man you are today in 2022? Wow. Um, it's made me realize that like things aren't that important, that money isn't really that important. I mean, you want to make money and have a great life, but did I need a 6,000 square foot home with closets that I needed to fill with clothes that were unimportant? I just, it made you kind of take a look at things in a different way. You know, it was no longer for me about teaching people to do great hair. I wanted to be on stage to inspire them to be great people. And so if I could do that while I was doing the other, that's, that was my goal. Oh, tears fill my eyes as you say that. <laughs> so a big part of who you are, like we, I play a lot of roles. I get frustrated by those roles, um, but we all, you know, because they are limiting if you just play the role. And I know that sometimes you feel a little limited by the roles that you play. And some of that has to do with um, what you've taught me about within the the gay community, where if you're not a big guy, you ought to be a small guy. And you're a tall man with big, broad shoulders, but you're kind of like a triangle shape. Right. So you're not this like really big guy. How, what is it like? As you, I would say, you're, you want to fit in a box, but you resist the box. What is that like? Because we all do it in some way. And for me, it might yeah. be like being a working mom or whatever, but it, all of us play a role and we, we struggle with whether or not we fit into the, the box. Yeah. I mean, I struggled early on because I was, I don't know if anyone out there knows like the gay community well. But there's like twinks and bears and otters. Oh my, you know, it's like there's so many different labels. And as a gay hairdresser, most of the people I was around that were also gay were small and pretty. And, you know, some of them even wore makeup and embraced that whole like gender bending thing. Well, at my size at that time, I couldn't buy those kind of clothes. So I, really felt lost. Like here I am in this industry that wants me to be a certain way. And like, it's just not, I tried really hard, but it's like, it's just not who I am and it's not my body type. And, you know, you know, I've probably lost and gained hundreds of pounds. Um, like I said, I've spent hundreds of dollars on waxing and plucking and shaving and taking care of myself and gym memberships and, you know, Botox and all the other crazy things that we do to change the outside when really it was about accepting who I was on the inside that allowed me to be more authentic. Yeah. How do you feel today? Do you feel like 
you feel your authentic self and the shape, the style, the way that you that you come across as Christian James today? Um, yes and no. I mean, it's still a struggle because now that I, I mean, I don't want to sound conceited or anything, but now oh, that do I, it, do it, please do. Let's hear now it. Now that I've become I'm fucking more, fabulous. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and it does, as the more I become secure with myself, the more more people I draw to me. So I date more. I told that I'm attractive more. Um, I'm 53 years old and I'm now go-go dancing. Like I never thought in my 20s that someone was going to pay me to stand on a stage on a job strap, you know, like. Heck yes. Good for you, man. That's but awesome. It's also, but it's also a learning thing because now I learned that when I am without all the armor, I'm more comfortable because I'm not fighting what is or fighting what I think I should be. You just get to see what is. And it's so freeing for me to be able to do that. Um, in like 2010, maybe, I went to an event called Bear Week in um, P-Town, Provincetown. Um, I remember walking into a dance that was an underwear party and I saw a man who was like 400 pounds at least. You couldn't even see that he had underwear on. That's how heavy he was. But he was out there dancing like he did not care and was so open to the idea. I thought, and I'm worried about this? Like, this is stupid. This is just stupid. Like, I can't do this to myself anymore. I feel that way when I look at pictures of me in my 20s when I was like frustrated that I no longer weighed whatever. And now I weigh this 10 pounds heavier or right after I had my twins. I can't believe, you know, I, I was so frustrated with that. I hadn't bounced back or whatever. And now I look back at this, those photos and I'm like, this is just a consistent theme of being unkind to myself. Exactly. That's all it is. Yeah. You know, I used it, it as I use it as a way to beat myself up. I use it as a way to keep people at a distance. Um, I use it as a way to um, justify why people didn't like me, you know, like it was. And if someone did like me, then there was something wrong with them because I didn't like me. So I think once I started to like me, I was like, you know, screw this. You want to rub my chubby belly, then rub my chubby belly because you know, that's your journey. That's what you like. Like I stopped trying to put what I like onto other people. Isn't it amazing that when you feel confident in the soul and the skin that you're in and the energy and vibes you put out into the world, what comes back to you? It's like, it's just this positive, feel amazing euphoria, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's. I think it's something that... I'm still searching for, and I feel like I'm on the right track for it. I feel, you know, the, the turn. Um, but I just, I love, I love hearing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like when we started this conversation, even before we turned on the thing, you were worried about what I was going to think about your hair. Yes. When, when it doesn't really matter what I think about your hair. It's true. You know, you know, you're a beautiful woman. you you could be without hair and still be beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, one of my mindset coaches, her name is Steph Tuss, and she always reminds me that what other people think about you is none of your business. <laughs> That's a good one. 
And I spend a lot of time, you know, Kami and I did a call earlier with a social media advisor. And so much of that call, I found myself thinking, well, what do people want to hear from me? And really, my brother-in-law, Brendan, reminded me not long ago that social media and content, it's all art. You have to create it from a place of creativity. It doesn't actually matter what other people think about it. Right. It's just you're creating. And I don't think you need to worry about what other people want to hear from you. I think it's like more like, what do you want them? What do you want to give to them? You know what I mean? So it's not coming from a place of trying to please somebody. It's about, this is me. This is who I am. Like it or not. And, you know, these are the things that I enjoy. Yeah. It's like a mic drop moment, Christian. It's so true. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. It really is. I love a couple, probably two years ago, you shared with me something that I immediately brought back to the firm and was talking to other people in the firm about, which was you had been to a, a... like a mindset workshop or a conference of some sort. I'm going to butcher the details, but this is my takeaway. I'm going to retell you the story that you told me that was your actual life. But someone had encouraged you to try to stand up. Oh, yeah. Can you tell me this? Because I'm I'm not going to tell it right, but it was very moving for me and I've never forgotten it. Yeah, it was um, was a site seminar thing and the guy, you know, came over and was like, try to stand up. And I stood up and he was like, sit back down. And I was like, okay. he was like, try to stand up. And I stood up and he was like, sit back down. And we went through this a few times and it just started getting frustrating for me. And he was like, there's either you do or you don't, there's no try. You can't try to do your best. You just have to be your best. Mic drop you know? moment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cause so it was often- very, mo- it was very moving and kind of intense. And what yeah, a simple, it, it, very simple thing um, to think about and to demonstrate. It's just standing up. You either do it or you don't. Right. Well, you know, there was all kinds of those kind of moments, like using the word but. I, I make it, a, it's always or, or and, you know what I mean? It's like add the and to the sentence, not the but. It's not, I can do this, but I can't do that. It's, you know. It's a struggle, but if it's something you really want, you can add the hand to anything. I mean, Thanks. look at Hillary. I'm a successful lawyer, and I, and I have a complete family, and I'm a mother, and I'm sober, and all these other things. You know what I mean? Like, that big awareness doesn't happen overnight. It, it's something you go through and something that you strive for. The application of there is no try it's it's such a dose of hard medicine because it takes out all of the bullshit. It takes out all of the excuses. Even when I'm like, I'm going to, well, and sometimes I go a little overboard. I had decided I was going to learn Spanish in 90 days and it didn't work. <laughs> so there was a, there was try in that, um, in the sense of like, I gave it my best effort, but I've come to find out you can't just learn a language in 90 days, no matter who you think you are <laughs> if, mm-hmm. by taking two classes a week. But when it's like, I'm going to, when you hear, uh, when I hear myself say, I'm, I have to do such and such versus I get to uh-huh. what a privilege it is that like, you know, we have a busy podcast schedule with amazing people who want to sit down and talk with us. It's never, I, 
I have to go do this podcast. It's like, I get to, this is what I get to spend my life, my, my time and my workday doing. And I'm not going to try to honor my calendar. I'm going to honor my calendar. I'm going to take out all the bullshit of why I never, you know, don't do X, Y, or Z. I was going to say beyond time, but that's still a really big one for me <laughs> being on time and honoring that. But when you take out, when you take the try out, you stop with the bullshit excuses that you're feeding yourself and believing. And usually other people are accepting of it. They will be like, okay, yeah, you're going to try to do that. It's like, yeah. no, I'm going to do it. Watch me do it. And my question to you is, when you set a goal, is it really about achieving the end result or is it about the journey to get there? And maybe you don't get there, but on the way there, you've got so much more. So is me, it really about learning yeah. Spanish in 90 days or is it that you made the effort? I am not an effort. I'm a results driven person. Right. So, um, well, that can be very like. It, it becomes you know. frustrating if I don't meet a goal because, or when I'm on the journey, like next year, we're trying to, we're trying to do eight figures and, um, are we trying? We're doing, we're going to do it. Yeah. Exactly. But in order for us to do that, the journey is messy and hard and chaotic and um, complicated. Where if we had smaller goals, it wouldn't be. And it's sometimes very hard for me to enjoy that journey, even though I know I'm the one who set this in motion. I know I'm the one that controls, you know, the bullseye of this target that we're all marching toward it. And yet sometimes maybe it's just a, it's a way of life. I think Christian, I think it's a way of life that I need, I, I get to learn to enjoy the journey more because I'll tell you as, as I'm thinking about this, the woman who I took Spanish classes was from was, um, and is still alive, but she's an older woman who reminded me so strongly of my grandmother who passed away in March, 2020. And learning another language is very tedious for me, maybe just my learning type, but it's very tedious. And I dreaded going to the class, dreaded it. And her vibe that she gave me was, it was like my grandma, a very, very redneck Arkansas woman had somehow have, has the same spirit as this Venezuelan American Spanish teacher. <laughs> And would challenge me in very similar ways and not take my BS in very similar ways. And it was a big gift for me, even though I didn't end up learning Spanish in 90 days. But you yeah, learned so a lot of Spanish along the way, though. And you're grateful for the gift. Yeah. Being grateful for the gift. Um, when Don't get me wrong. I love results-driven stuff, but... Like I, you know, some people set goals so lofty for themselves that all it does is really put more pressure on them opposed to let's just do our best and like hope we get to eight figures. Yeah, that I, I, the second part of it's that. It's hard. I'm like, like, I, I, I literally I am like shifting in my seat. It's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, like, for me, it's. What? Yeah, I think I'm right between you guys, because for me, it's the learning that happens through the journey. It's yes, let's set a big, scary, nasty goal. And we're going to we're going to we're going to get there. But in 
the case that maybe we don't? (laughs) What did we learn along the way? That's where I find a lot of value. Yeah. I love being around Hillary because she challenged me to set the bar higher. And, um, but at the same time, I'm the type of person that if I set the bar that high, I'm going to beat myself up because I didn't get to the bar instead of learning. What did I learn? How far did I get? And then really evaluating it. Is it really that important to me? Because if it was really that important to me, wouldn't I have gotten there? Totally. Yeah. It's a lot of self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, is that what I really want for myself? You know? Because when you, when you, like, I listened to this guy in a book and he was like, if you don't have what you have, if you don't have what you want in your life, do you really want to have it? And do you want to sacrifice what it takes to get there? So, like, if you want to be eight figures, do you want to sacrifice the other things in your life, like your health or whatever? You do a very good job of balancing that. But, you know, you had to be sober to do it. You, have, you know, you had to sit down with your family and friends and be like, this is where I want to go, you know, and you had to take all those risks because when you're, when you make those decisions, people fall out of your life that don't work anymore. So it's like, do you want to risk losing what you have for what you say you want? Yeah. It's like the proverbial hand in the cookie jar where you have to let go (laughs) in order to get your hand back. It's true. I think that a lot of times people, they they're happy being in the wanting of something. I want to lose weight or I, you know, I sent a photo to Kami about what, three months ago of my back. And I was like, I do not want this back anymore. Cause it was like, I had a sports, a regular sports bra on that was like rolls of skin. Like what the heck, you know, I got a tummy tucked on it and they take care of the front. But they don't do a whole lot for your upper back. You actually have to lift weights to get that sorted out. And for a long time, I was very much interested in the wanting of being in good shape or wanting to have toned muscles. And then you take a shift uh, to, no, I'm just going to have it. And it's going to take time. Um, So I'm just going to go two days a week in order to be working toward it. But I had to make the shift from being satisfied with wanting to be in good shape to actually working toward being in good shape. And it's such a small shift. Yeah. But it's consistency too. Consistently showing up and consistently putting forth the effort. It might take a really long time. Whatever, dude. But it's still moving. (laughs) She's like, I saw it. It's going to take a really long time. No, I didn't mean it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I learned in a class once that was like, that if you... I spent my most of my life saying, if I would do this, I could have that and I'd be happy. When really it's, you just have to be happy and it's like be, do, have. It's not have, do, be mm-hmm. or do, have, be. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. It's yeah, really it really does. Um, I want to take you back to when President Trump was president. Ugh. I know. Sorry. Aside from, yeah, there's a purpose for it. It's not just for funsies. Um, you know, as a white lady, white straight lady, 
I don't often find myself, I mean, these days a little bit more just because Roe versus Wade was overturned. Women, women's rights are at issue again. Um, but it's pretty rare for humans to be made at the core of who they are to be illegal. And for a long time, the gay community was illegal. And immigrants, many times here in the United States, are made to feel like they just by being are illegal, which is very dehumanizing um, to observe. I've never personally been made to feel illegal. Now, um, you know, when, when Trump was president and then we see the Supreme Court, we have murmurings of gay rights being at issue again. What does that do for you? Um, you know, I, I just have so many people in my life that love me and care about me that, that, I mean, it's horrible and there's people that struggle way more than I do. Um, being a white man, I still have privileges that black men don't have, Asian men don't have, and it's not, and it's just gifted to me at birth. So it's hard to like be like, boo-hoo, they're taking away my gay rights when there's, there's no ERA. Like, <laughs> come on, like, <laughs> women didn't got the right to vote after black men. And it wasn't until almost 1970 they could even have a bank account. And I don't think people really realize that everybody has that those struggles. It's scary because our history is sort of taken away from us. Um, most people don't realize that gay men or gay people went to the Holocaust. They, it was worse to be gay than it was to be Jewish. They just couldn't find us as easy. <laughs> so there was less of us. But, you know, if you go to the Holocaust Museum, there's a whole section on, like, how many gay men died and men and women died during the Holocaust. They got an upside-down pink triangle opposed to the Star of David. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. There's a great movie called Bent that I recommend. It's about the struggle of a Jewish gay man wanting going to the going to the camps, but having to prove that he wasn't gay by raping a woman because it would have been better for him to be Jewish when he got there. And the struggle with his boyfriend who was not okay and didn't look Jewish. So they have yeah. this relationship, but it's unequal because of the choices each one of them made. Yeah. It's scary. You know, I had no idea that black women did the math to save NASA. Like I went through my entire school reign and, and it's almost a history major and through college and had no idea that even existed because we've, I don't like the word whitewash, but we've left things out that of other people's history that are super important. We didn't give credit where credit was due. Yeah. And I think the same thing happens to women. I mean, women just are now getting a voice. I mean, even the Bible, if you believe in the Bible, there's nothing. Mary didn't have a voice. She was the mother of God and she didn't have anything to say. Like, that's just why I find that silly and not like, not, it can't be true. You know, I don't know. So I love seeing women like you guys that like are on podcasts and have something to say. And, you know, so my my gay rights, I'm still going to be me with or without them. So, you know, it just makes it harder. Like, 
with people of trans, people of color, people gay and colored, women, lesbians. Like, you know, you just keep throwing around labels and then we're just labels and we're not human. Yeah. That's why I talked about being gay and embracing myself as a man because right. that's, you know, I'm not a black man. I'm not a gay man. Those are just contributing factors to who I am. Ingredients. Really, yeah. But it's the, it's the juice and the squeeze, I guess. Yeah. What's something that you wish that people, maybe when you are, if you could give your 15 year old self or 17 year old self, like, what would you say to that, that coming of age man? Uh, what would I say? Um, stop trying to figure out who you are and just be who you are. You know, like stop. I spent a lot of time trying to find out who I was. Like I went through the whole like girly phase. I went through the whole drag queen phase. I went through what I call the gap fag phase, you know, like then there's the Abercrombie phase, you know? So it's just like, I had an Abercrombie phase too. Well, yeah. And you just try on all these like, like things that, you know, they're just they things. aren't you. Yeah, they don't. And then maybe they are me, but they just, I don't know. It's a struggle. <laughs> I don't know if there was anything I could say to my 15-year-old self that would make him be different. Yeah. You know, because I mean, that's, I, I had to learn it. When you think about, I know every day you post on Facebook an idea of gratitude and you gift that to everybody what the thing is that you're grateful for. I mean, it may not be every day, but what inspired that? And how does that impact you as you show up in your day? Um, what inspired that was um, being in therapy, you know, um, realizing that if you can find the gratitude in anything or uh, you start your day out like that, that the rest doesn't seem as complicated or as hard or as difficult. And, you know, selfishly, it makes me feel better. If it makes someone else feel better in the process, great. I don't think that's selfish at all. You know, I think if we could learn to be more vulnerable as humans, that there would be a lot more understanding of each other than there is currently, you know, and Trump sort of made that possible. Like, the, you know, we don't need to be, we, there's something inherently different about us and that's what makes it bad. But, you know, like even in the last six months, I've, I went to Europe and I had this great experience and I met all these really great guys that wanted to connect. Not only did they want to have sex, but they wanted to sit and talk afterwards. Like, you know, that's not necessarily the case all the time. And I realized it's not European men. It was me being vulnerable enough to allow it to happen. When you decided to open your own shop, Mm -hmm. what was the scariest step for you? I'm thinking about other people who might be listening, who they might be wanting to open a business or they might be wanting to take a big step forward in their life. And that's a big step forward in life. When you think about that step, what was the scariest part for you? Um, the scariest part was probably thinking I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough, you know, um, 
you know, I have a lot of great things in my life, but sometimes a lot of those great things weren't driven by wanting to be successful. They were driven by not wanting to be a failure, you know, not wanting to be like my family, you know, so. That's so relatable. So a lot of times the joy in it is gone. The celebration that happens at the end wasn't there. It was what's next. It was always like, what can I do to fill this full away? I'm going to be the only one to finish high school. I'm going to be the only one to get a college degree. I'm, you know, I'm going to find out what wine is about and like all this other crazy stuff that I thought that would make me a different person. And it really gave me a lot of great things, but it didn't make me different. It didn't make me feel better. Yeah. So what was the thing, and and I think we'll end there, is what's the thing that's helped you go from, I wonder if I'm good enough, to feeling confident that you're one of the leading industry innovators? Was it just achievement? Was it seeing your results? Was it looking at my amazing hair that people, like, Sean tells me all the time. He's of course like, it is. I have never been around anyone in my life who gets more compliments on their hair. And I was like, me either. It is like... Everywhere I go, people love the hair that you've put on my head. So anyway, what was They're the- loving the energy that's coming out of your body. Oh, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the hair is great. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, the, what was the question again? What? I don't even know. Um, <laughs> but um, what was the shift for you where you went from? I don't know if I'm good enough to I know I'm one of the best. Um, I was just telling you the story. Um, in 2015, I entered the North American Hairdressing Awards. And it's like, a, it's like the Oscars for hair in the, in the North, you know, America, including Mexico and Canada. And they whittle it down to the top five and then they pick a winner. Well, I mean, I got nominated, but I didn't win. But I remember the moment that I was sitting down in the like place that I had rented and I was looking at the work that I did and I knew no matter what, it was amazing. Win, lose or whatever, it didn't matter because I had created something that I didn't think was possible in me. Um, that that I knew was good enough to stand up to all these other people that I thought were better than me. And it just was like, it was just so freeing to like be like, I've created something that's so fucking amazing that I don't, it doesn't matter how people take it and perceive it. You know, I just, it, and it gave me the opportunity to like, be on stage because once I was nominated, people knew who I was. They wanted to be on stage and I could tell my story. And like I said, if I could learn how to teach someone something and motivate them to be better people, that that's all I ever wanted to do. That's awesome. That's beautiful. And that space that you're like, I feel confident to know that I'm going to crush this system or crush this industry. <laughs> so good for you, man. Awesome. You know, I think you just find a, a niche that isn't there and then you fill it. You know, I created a Arizona Salon Professionals, which had like a Facebook group that was 
supposed to be me and my friends braiding each other hair and use learning how to do new things. They turned into 10,000 members where we were creating education and giving back and raising money and doing charity. And, you know, I didn't make any money from that. It was just wanting, it was for me wanting to give back, wanting to make change. And now there's San Diego salon professionals and Vegas salon professionals. And, you know, there's tons of these groups that, but, you know, mine was the first. It seems like the theme is a bunch of shifts, positive shifts happen for you when you make the decision to stop worrying about what someone else is going to think and the, the resolution and determination that what you have is good enough. Right. What I have to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But it's still a struggle. It's like, you know, it's like, am I doing enough? You know? Yes. It's like, you know what I mean? We always get, we're always going to question ourselves. Yeah. You can know it on an academic level. And then the application on a day to day is, you know, a very long hallway with no windows and you have to get to the other (laughs) side. You don't know how long the hallway is, but you're just going to keep journeying there. It's the day to day. It's like trying to live in the moment of what's happening now. To be mindful as fuck. Yeah. To be mindful as fuck and realize that sometimes the bad things that are happening, you have to just sit with them. You can't fix them. You can't change them. You just have to know that they're there and acknowledge it and then have the strength to have a different relationship with it. Like I can't change what my dad took his life, but I can, can acknowledge that it was his to take and that it sucks because it made my life harder but, you know, I, it's, I want to make it different. If I only said this, or if I could only do that, if I only went back and I did this one thing harder, more, and it, what's the point of living that way when it's over, that moment is over. And what did I learn from it is what I try to do now. Christian, you are such a gift. Yeah. To my life, to everyone who's, who gets to hear from you and you're so wise. And I think that what's so relatable and personal, um, personable about you is that sometimes I wonder if you know how wise you are because you are, yeah, you are. Um, but you know, and you have the self-awareness to say, I'm still on this journey. I don't have it all figured out. And then you share what you have learned. And so many people, maybe too many people in their, in their way of leading, it's so internal and it's not shared. And so by you being you, you've taught me so much. You've helped liberate me from um, a role that I didn't want to play, a part that I was dressing up that I didn't want to dress up as anymore. And I'm just so appreciative for you. I'm grateful for you and your leadership within just you doing you truly is making an impact. So thank you for that. And thank you for coming on our podcast. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the compliments. You know, sometimes they're hard to accept, but you know, today's one of those days when I can be like, yeah, I know. The moon energy is right. I'm so glad. I was going to say the energy that I feel just from being part of this conversation and and hearing your background and what you have to give, it just fills my soul today. Um, Came in a little bit sleepy, a little bit tired, and I'm leaving very 
rejuvenated and thankful and grateful for your time today. Yeah. And thank you guys for having me. These kind of conversations for me that teach me that I know I'm doing the right thing and I'm on the right path. Yeah, on the right path. Yeah. Okay. Love you so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye, Christian. Bye, Christian. Bye, Les. Bye. What a treat to get to hang out with Christian and Kami today, right? I think my favorite takeaway, I know Kami's got hers as well, is that, you know, it doesn't matter where we are in any season in life. The reality is that we are our number one enemy, but we also have to be our number one cheerleader. So the takeaway for me is over and over and over so much of what I do and don't do, even today, as much work and coaching as I have done, still really does get you know, bogged down or limited by one thought, which is, I wonder what people are going to think of this and whether that's content that I'm creating or a brief that I'm writing, which is very important because, you know, judges are the the audience. So it's important for them to, to wonder what they think about it. But that thought process can be very, very limiting if it's showing up so strongly in our day to day lives. And Christian really hit the nail on the head where it's like, it's time to stop thinking about what other people will think of me and just be. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you did, I ask, do me a solid and share it with a friend. Talk to you later. See you on the next episode of Gratitude and Leadership.